TJ, I'm glad you're quick on the draw. I'm going to ask you to go to Acts 10, verse 13 through 16. And if you have your Bibles, pull them out. Otherwise, we can read from the screen. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter. Let's say this all together. I, I got a little ahead of you. So let's just say this all together. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So that's where we're going to finish. We've been going through the book of Acts, and some pretty cool things have happened the past few chapters. I wrote up a little map there for you. So the gospel starts in Jerusalem in the upper room. Holy Spirit is poured out. Jesus said, you'll proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem, to to Judea, to Samaria, to all the regions of the earth. Jesus was excited about it, but these Jewish apostles maybe weren't so excited about it because, you know what, when they heard Jerusalem, Judea, yay, these are our people These are God's chosen, holy, covenant people. But when Philip took the gospel to Samaria, maybe they weren't quite as excited about that because what did Jews think about Samaritans? Boo! In fact, they didn't even associate with them. Kind of sounds like maybe 1950s America. Whites not associating with blacks because blacks are lesser than whites. That was the perspective. Is that God's perspective? The answer is no. Okay, just in case you're wondering. um, So going into Acts 10, we see something we've never seen before. The author talks about Cornelius. And Cornelius isn't a Jew. In fact, he's not even a Samaritan. And going beyond that, he's actually part of a system that is oppressing the Jewish people. Is that true? It is true. Okay, so God is going to be doing something to Peter, which we just read about, and really pressing his comfort zone, challenging, crushing expanding his theology and then he actually does something that maybe he never wanted to do and never thought he would do. Maybe he never thought God would ask him to do it, but God asked him to do it, which is pretty interesting. So, verse 10.1, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. This guy was the exception to the rule. Cornelius rejected Roman paganism. Paganism was the standard fare of religious practice among pagans. But somehow God's mercy and grace touched him. 
And this man who had authority, he's a centurion. That means he is in charge of 100 people. He's a military man. He's part of the Italian cohort. A cohort is 600 people. So he's one of the six leaders of this cohort in Caesarea. He's 40 miles or thereabouts from Jerusalem. He's living a life that is very godly. Okay? They describe him as somebody who fears God. And he gives alms. And he prays continually. All right? Now, when the Bible talks about praying without ceasing or praying continually, does it mean to literally play, pray for 24 hours a day or does it mean something else? And I think it's really important that we understand it means something else. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to go to verse 3. It says, About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said, to him, blah, blah. He's praying at a specific time and he sees this vision and it's the ninth hour. Does anybody know about Jewish prayer times? Anybody know that history? Um, I do have some notes here. I'm going to make some reference to them. 9 a.m. is the third hour. 12 noon is the sixth hour. 3 p.m. is the ninth hour. So Jews back in the day and people who were Gentiles, but turned to Jerusalem, if they were faithful, at these times they would pray. And I don't know if they even pray the full hour, but they would pray. And we, we actually see in the Old Testament, Daniel gets persecuted, thrown into the lion's den because he's praying to God at certain times. So I think this is very important for contemporary charismatic Christianity. When the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and when he's, when, when the author says that that Cornelius is praying continually, I believe it means he's praying at three set times, which was Jewish tradition. So in other words, he's praying less than maybe some others think we should be praying. If I prayed all the time, would I be able to give alms to anybody? The answer is no. You know what? Cornelius had to honor God by having a job. He had to honor God by operating in his authority in the military, and he honored God by giving money to the Jews, by blessing those who were in need. And you know what I call that? I call that a balanced spiritual life. That's a balanced spiritual life. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Or you're like, well, I don't know about that. Okay. Sounds good, Bob. A little teasing there. But... Uh, the Bible presents a very balanced view of, of life. And I think it's very important that we take Scripture into context so we don't get out of balance. So Cornelius is really living a life that honors God. He's praying. He's given. And God sees this stuff. God sees this stuff. He sees the generosity. He hears the prayers. And God is impacted by this. God looks down and says, this man has chosen to live a life for the kingdom, to honor me. He's being generous. He's seeking my face. And God responds with a vision. I want to throw this out. Prayer 
You could do a whole year on prayer if you wanted to. But I'm going to say this much about it right now. Prayer is an open door for experiencing God. Prayer is like opening the door to a house. And you engage God in prayer. And there's all sorts of different rooms. And there's all sorts of different treasures. And there's food. And there's maybe a TV. There's different things, okay? It's interesting to note when Peter has a vision later on in chapter 10, he is praying at another set time. And in the midst of praying, he also has a vision. He falls into a trance. Okay? I think it's good to have visions. I think it's good to hear from God in very awesome ways. And if you want that, step one is to engage God in prayer. Because these things did not happen apart from taking a posture of waiting on the Lord and seeking him in prayer. Anybody ever seek God in prayer and then all of a sudden God just does some really cool things? Maybe he brings really powerful revelation to you or maybe you have a vision. Maybe you get a word. Maybe you get some direction in your life like Cornelius got. He got direction in his life by choosing to pray. God responds with a vision and an angel in this vision literally says, send to Joppa for a man named Simon, also called Peter, and have him come here. That's because this man prayed. I believe Cornelius and his household got saved. They heard the gospel because Cornelius chose to have a consistent and sincere and genuine prayer life. And that opened the door from hearing from God and that led him into his destiny. And I think if he didn't live that kind of life, he would not have gone where he went. I don't think so. And look at Peter. If he wouldn't have been faithful in praying, I don't think Peter would have heard from God and gone and released the gospel to the first Gentile. I mean, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. All right, so I really want to take prayer seriously and I want to be expectant in prayer. We'll continue down here. Fixing his gaze upon him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. The angel who was speaking to him had left. He summoned two of the servants and a devout soldier of those who, had, who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. That would be kind of interesting. Like, I had a vision from God. There's this dude over in this city. It's 20 miles away, and he's got to come. I mean, wouldn't you think somebody's kind of loopy if they told you that? Perhaps, I mean, this subject of supernatural experience, I just kind of wonder, wonder what they thought um, about that. But any, anyway, they respond, and I put a little map up there. So you see, there's Jerusalem. Peter is staying in Joppa. Crazy signs and wonders happen in Joppa. Somebody is raised from the dead. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, gospel is being preached to a new area. 
you'll see that, that Caesarea is about 20 miles north. Um, so it, it's further out on the outskirts. It's closer to Samaria, obviously, than it is to Jerusalem. And that's where Cornelius is stationed. I do want to throw this out, too. I get excited about visions and words, and I, you know, I receive revelation from the Lord. I think maybe a fair amount of people here do, but I don't want to just swallow everything I experience. That's dangerous. In fact, the Bible says not to do that. I mean, why does why does the Bible say, let two or three prophets speak, but then let let the elders weigh what is said? Would that command be given? unless there's a possibility that some people who are sincerely thinking they're speaking on behalf of God are not. Okay, I know a very uh, godly man who hears from God quite accurately. He felt or literally believed that God told him to invest certain money in a stock, $60,000 to be exact. Guess what happened to that company? He lost $60,000. In his heart, he was being obedient. In his heart, he heard a voice. He heard a word. He's had a good... Uh, historical accuracy, but what he should have done, especially in making such a big decision, was to talk to maybe two other, three people and weigh that word. Is that really from God? The word wasn't from God. So we need to be wise. And if something sounds good, doesn't mean it's from God. We need to test everything. We need to weigh what is said. So Receive vision, receive revelation, but also be circumspect, also test. So now, Cornelius is getting prepared. In verse 9, the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So there it is, is, is again, it's a specific time. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. While, But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. So he's praying. God responds with a vision. God has a specific thing he wants to accomplish here. Peter sees all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures the earth, birds of the air, voice comes to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, but God is cleansed. No longer consider anything, no longer consider unholy. So were Jews allowed to eat any kind of food they wanted in the Old Testament? No, there are specific laws. There are foods that are clean. There are foods that are unclean. Peter's a good Orthodox Jew who's now a Messianic, and he's going by the Old Testament, which makes sense because that was honoring God. Uh, some people say those food laws existed for dietary purposes, but the Bible doesn't say that. If anything, I think those food laws existed because God was calling apart for himself a holy people, a people set apart. And they were set apart in how they dressed. They were set apart in what they ate. They were set apart in a specific land, their promised land, et cetera, et cetera. So these are set apart people. And now something's changed with the new covenant. And God is using this idea, this theology of clean and unclean foods, 
as a symbol to point to something else. In Mark 7, 19, Jesus actually says it's not what goes inside of you that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. Your words from your heart. So Jesus already declared all foods clean. And the Bible specifically says that. And Peter hadn't grasped that yet. But you see the kind and humble and teaching nature of God. God is using a this food thing as a symbol. And I think it says this, it literally happens three times. Yeah, this happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. And I think this shows something about the mercy and patience of God. Peter didn't get it right away. He didn't even get it the second time. But the third time, it looks like he got it. It looks like he got it. And God was not harsh. God was not mean. But he did the same thing over and over again until Peter finally learned the lesson. So this vision experience was literally a teaching moment to release a truth. What was once considered unholy and defiled and set apart or in, in a negative way, you shouldn't touch it. I've cleansed it. I've cleansed it. So don't consider that food unholy. And now you've got two Gentiles on their way to Peter. As this is happening, they're literally on their way to visit him. And God is setting this whole destiny thing in motion. I've got to just... Ooh, I'll, I'll take like two more minutes, but I got to keep a eye on the time. Okay. Okay. God isn't racist. Okay, I just want to say that. He chose Jews to be a blessing to the world. And they were set apart. But then there was a change of covenant. And the Lord... came to Jews who I think became racist. They didn't want to associate with the Samaritans because they are mixed, Jew and Gentile. They didn't even want to go into the houses of Gentiles. They weren't supposed to. They get defiled. These people are unclean. But now God is saying non-Jews are, are clean. They're just like you. And I'm going to relate to them the same way I'm going to relate to you. I love them the way I love you. God is helping Peter to overcome a generational hurdle of racism and prejudice. Don't be afraid of the Gentiles anymore. Don't hate the Gentiles anymore. My understanding is that Black Lives Matter now have banned white people from sharing in their protests. Well, that's not good. Um, I can say in my own life, racism is something I've had to overcome. I was never mean towards another race, but you know what? I was afraid of certain races. And I, I think part of that is because of the news and the way they project this person or this color, and you see it over and over again, they're doing all this bad stuff. And to be honest with you, I think maybe we're all a little racist. Maybe we're all a little prejudiced. Maybe we're all a little afraid of people who don't look like us or talk like us or smell like us or believe like us. And I think that's a bad thing for us because I think every people group and every culture 
has something beautiful to offer. Uh, for example, the Latino culture, you know what? They value family. They really value family and community, and they make that a priority in their life. And we individualistic white people, again, you might not fit this, but most people do, isolated individualistic people on so many medications in our culture beyond any other nation, I think, in the world, maybe we can learn from Latinos, right? Maybe we can learn from the Africans who are coming over and share some similar values, Okay, and I, I want to finish with that idea. Um, we will break up into groups after prayer, and I think talking about that idea of different people, groups, and race, and is this something I need to work on, would be a good way to finish, because that's, that's how this section in Scripture finishes. Jesus prepares Peter to get immersed into another people group, that he's never been a part of before so he can be a blessing and so he can be blessed. And that's Christianity. That's the heart of God. I want us to come to a place where we can go into any people group and not be afraid and not be uncomfortable. That's Christianity. That's the kingdom of God. So, Lord, we just ask for your grace and your mercy. Father, we just repent of any prejudices and we forgive the news, we forgive the media, we forgive those in our lives who, who painted a bad picture of other races or, or people groups, people who are, are not like us. They, they live differently or they have a different skin tone. Father, we know that everyone is made in your image and whites are made no more in your image than any other color, Lord. And Jesus himself was Middle Eastern, darker skin. He wasn't white, and yet our culture makes him white, but he wasn't. And we repent of that too, Father. We repent of being so ethnocentric. And we ask, Father God, that you would liberate us like you liberated Peter, if any of us are at that place, from any sort of prejudice, from, from unwarranted fear, and help us to see the beauty of other cultures and other people groups. We just break off any shame connected to this. We pray for unity in the body of Christ, a church universal. We pray for unity in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.